0: Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. We're going to be uh, continuing our little Christmas series this morning, and this morning we're going to be concentrating on Joseph, who is uh, Jesus' stepfather. And uh, why don't I want to just start off with this. Um, maybe some of you know this, the name here, at Tony Shay. It's actually how you pronounce his name. He was the uh, brilliant guy. Uh, he just took his own life, I think, a couple weeks ago. But brilliant guy who made Zappos great. And um, he had the, some kind of really, he had some really unique strategies. And one of them was this. If a person, he hired somebody... And he liked this person, he thought they were a good employee. Then after they worked at Zappos for a month, he would offer them a month's free salary if they would quit. And his goal here was to, you know, to find out who was loyal. Because if you'd pass up that month's free salary and stay at the company anyway, he thought, that is a loyal person and I highly value loyalty. And I think this is, uh, he latched on to a principle, I think, that all of us know in our hearts, and that is you don't know what a person's really like until they get tested, right? We don't know who's really an honest person until their honesty gets tested by some kind of situation. We don't know who's loyal. We don't know who's really, you know, a merciful or kind person until it looks like it's against their interest to be, to act in those ways, And uh, Joseph, it says, when we uh, first look at him in Matthew 1, was a righteous man. He was a righteous man. And his righteousness was tested by what happened when Jesus came. And there were a couple of tests that he went through. And the first test that he really had to deal with was a test of betrayal. Uh, Because right off the bat, he he starts thinking, wow, this person that I trusted the most... That I, that I love the most, has totally betrayed me and let me down. So let's just look at the story here in Matthew 1, verse 18. It says, this is how the Messiah, uh, Jesus the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit now joseph um, didn't know what what had happened to her he knew that she was pregnant but he didn't know the circumstances behind it and so now he's in the situation The custom in those days was if you were going to marry somebody um, you would make that agreement and then you would uh, spend a while just being like sort of unofficially like engaged and then you'd hit this year right before you're supposed to get married of an actual engagement it was like okay we're considering that you are going to get married it's going to be a year away but you're not going to see much of this person but this is this is it and then you're gonna okay so what's happened during this time is she shows up pregnant and so if you were if you were he uh, if I were he in this situation I would be going like wow she cheated on me she let me down this was a person that I was going to pledge my undying loyalty to I was going to you know, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, and she lets me down, and she's been seeing some other guy. And this this has got to be heartbreaking. It's got to be totally heartbreaking. But it says in verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. What's a righteous man like? Well, for one thing, he's going to break the engagement. You know, the word righteous, is a synonym for that is just just man and now that, that's the right thing to do in this situation isn't it because you know you don't want to get into a you know a business partnership with somebody who's going to cheat on you you don't want to get into a marriage with somebody who's blatantly cheating on you like this but at the same time he's gracious right because I think a lot of men in his position would be vowing revenge they'd be going like look at she's going to pay for this and they would be, you know, they would be, they'd be vicious. They'd be taking it so personally, and I, you know, I would take it personally. I think you would take it personally too. But a righteous man is just and gracious. This is the kind of man that you want to be the judge at a trial where you're the defendant, where he's going to do the right thing, but at the same time, he's not going to get. It's not going to be personal with him. He's going to temper that with mercy. He's a He's a, this is the kind of person you want to have as your coach. This is the kind of person you want to have as your teacher. This is the kind of parent you, uh, person you want as a parent, right? If you've been, if you've been a naughty boy, you know, or something. This is, you know, this is the kind of person that you want to have in positions of authority. A righteous man. Um, now, what's interesting, though, is that Joseph gets a new perspective. He hasn't really understood what's been going on. And it says, as he considered this... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so it's like, all of a sudden, Joseph's eyes are open. It's like, and he sees everything in a brand new light. This is like, it's amazing. You know, the new perspective that he's got. You know, I mentioned the last time that I spoke, I said to be a believer, to be a follower of Jesus means that we have a new ordering of our relationships, right? Because before we knew Jesus, it was like maybe I was first in line in my life, or maybe my family, or maybe my job, or something like that. But now that I that I know Jesus, it's like I got a new thing with Jesus at the top, and everything else comes underneath Nothing comes before Him. Well, when I come to know Jesus, I also get a new perspective on everything. I see things in a different light, right? I, I see God differently. I see my own flaws differently. I see the other people around me differently. I got this new, this new perspective. You know, just to give you like an analogy to this, I remember um, after I had my second hernia surgery that was supposed to fix what went wrong with the first one, Um, I went through you know this period of time where you're healing from the surgery which was a a much bigger surgery than the first one and it didn't seem to be getting better and I would try to like uh, resume uh, physical exercise again and running and was it was it was very painful and I'm going like oh no you know I've undone this surgery and I have that third surgery and I'm all worried and it's like this is terrible why can't I get and I go back to my surgeon and he goes oh take you know, four bills every six hours and go away, you know, and, and I'm going like, you know, it's, there's something else here. or something else here. So finally I thought, you know what, I'll, do, I'll go to a different kind of doctor. I'll go to a urologist. Maybe that's the problem. So I go to this urologist, and he, like, talks to me and he examines me and stuff. He goes, you know what, I'm not the doctor for you here. He said, but let me explain something while you're here. He says, let me tell you about scar tissue. And he says, you know, the tissue that you were born with is supple, it stretches, it's perfect, it's great. He says, but when you have surgery and there's healing, you get scar tissue. And scar tissue is like tough, and it's not flexible. It's not as good as the original. And he said, the pain that you're feeling is scar tissue from that surgery. And he says, that pain is good. That pain is actually helping to stretch that thing and make it more supple. So he says, "Don't back off on your exercise. Go for it." I left that doctor's office. It was like, ah, very cool. And I'd feel pain. I go like, yes, good pain, you know. And you know that if you've ever had surgery, it's hard to tell the difference between good pain and bad pain, isn't it? Because you start worrying and all this kind of stuff. I saw everything in a different light, and that's the way Joseph was. He's going like, oh, baby, I see things in a whole new light. It's totally different. This woman has, she's a good woman. She's worth marrying. Oh, this is, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to marry her. But this brings another test. And it's what I call the test of daunting responsibilities. And this might be a tougher test yet. You see, here's the deal. Here's a guy that's never been a father before. And, you know, I know that there's a number of you who in here who have been, or who are fathers. And do you remember the first time you had a child? John, do you remember when when Britain was on the way? And now John, you know, who's a you know very competent guy, but I bet you even John over here, he probably went, Whoa, what am I gonna do? It's gonna be a new child right here. And I remember back when I was a first time parent, this is back in the days we had cloth diapers. Some (laughs) of you remember this, I could tell. You're old. But you know what? It would go like, okay, you got these diapers, and then you got to use pins to fasten them. i like, how do you do that? You know, that month, uh, first, one month before our firstborn, Amy was born, it was like, I, I don't know if I'm, uh, you know, uh, up to this. This is going to be hard. So it's like God is saying through the angel, he's going to Joseph, you know what? I want you to be a dad. I want you to take care of a kid. Oh, and by the way, it's my kid. You're taking care of my kid. Okay? And Joseph's going, whoa, this is God's kid? This Almighty God's kid? And God's going, take care of him. You're responsible for him. Nah, I wouldn't want that. I am I wouldn't want to take care of your kid, you know, but much less God's. It was hard enough, you know, trying to f- figure out the first time what to do with mine. And so it's, it's daunting. It's like more than he can handle. I mean, it says in verse 21, He will save His people from their sins. How do you take care of someone who's that awesome? You know, who's, who's up to that? Who's up to that? You know, I remember uh, when my firstborn, Amy, this one day I'm walking down the steps in our house in Lakewood where we lived at the time. Halfway down the steps, I'm carrying her, but not like the guy in this picture who's got the baby next. I got her facing out. I'm walking down the steps. I stumble and I drop her down the steps. Whoa, oh no, you know, she's crying, but she kind of you know shakes it off and everything. And I'm like, I'm just totally shook up. So I call the doctor. I'm going like, I dropped my child down the steps. She was bouncing down the steps. Hey, what, what is she going and, and the doctor, old, old style pediatrician, right? He goes like, well, how's she doing now? I go, well, she's, you know, she's not crying anymore. She's just playing. He goes, you know what, I wouldn't worry about it much. He said, you know, little kids are like drunks. He goes, they fall down, they don't get hurt. He said, their bones are 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 soft. They're not brittle. Like you and I would fall down the steps, it would be a major tragedy. He says, as long as she you know, seems fine after this, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Whew. But you understand what I'm saying. It's like, wow, these kids, you know, sometimes things happen, you know, and um, and so who's up to that? And then the other thing that I would uh, you've got to realize here is this. Back in the Old Testament commandments, we read this, and the people knew this, and Joseph knew this too. If a man seduces a virgin who's not engaged to anyone and has sex with her, he must pay that customary bride price and marry her. But if her father refuses to let him marry her, the man will still pay him an amount equal to the bride price of a virgin. In the Old Testament commandments, it sets up this whole idea of like child support. But it also sets up this whole idea of like, hey, if you're having sex and you're not married, you must get married. Right? So now think about this. If Joseph marries Mary, people in Nazareth, they can count. And they're going to go like, whoa, it's a righteous man? And they were fooling around. And then they got married to cover it up. Okay, Joseph. And he goes from being a righteous man with a sterling reputation to looking like the biggest hypocrite in the town. And so what God is saying through the angel to Joseph, he's going, I want you to take on this huge responsibility of being responsible for my son. And I want you to destroy your reputation in the process because it's going to be for his good do it. Who's equal to that? Who could do that? You know, if I were Joseph, I would be doom scrolling. Let me explain what I'm talking about. I'm going like, I, I can't do it. It's too much. I can't handle this. this is, I would start getting a lot of negative thoughts. just saw this article this week. Uh, it was a study done by some mathematicians, and they said U.S. media readers strongly prefer negative stories about COVID-19. What they discovered is that the coverage of COVID in America is radically different than the coverage of COVID in Europe. In Europe, the coverage is about is 50-50. Positive stories, negative stories. You know, stories about people getting sick, people, stories about people recovering. In America, 91% negative. 91% negative. You know, even they said in times where rates are going down, the media hype's going up. You know, and it's this is not a political thing. It's not a partisan issue. It's across the board, and this is what their theory is about why it's so negative. It's an old principle of journalism: if it bleeds, it leads. Right? We're attracted to negative stories about everything. Why? Because imagine if a bear would would come running in right through that door right there right now. I would get a jolt of adrenaline. So would you. Well, you know what? When we read these stories, we get this, this lift—just a quick whoa—and that's addictive. And people just start, they start going like, you know, this is not good for me. I shouldn't be doing this right before I go to bed. <clears throat> you know, this, you know, this is like depressing me. But let's see some more. Let's see some more. And there's here's this term that's being used now by psychologists: doom scrolling. Where you just keep feeding yourself story after story after story. I don't know how many people have told me, I'm so depressed, I am so down. And I'll go, Do you read a lot of news stuff and go through a lot of news feeds? They go, Yeah, I go, stop. Stop. I know it's addictive, but it's not good for you. And I'll tell you what, I was I I've been a big news junkie all my life. I've cut way back, way back, and I'm a happier boy as a result. And if you're a doom scroller, stop it. You know, Joseph is probably doom scrolling in his mind. He's going, how am I going to do this? Ridiculous. People are going to look down about it. I I quit. But look what Joseph did. This is why he's so awesome. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. He did what he was told love this guy. Admire this guy. And you know what? The truly righteous man. See, there's such a thing as being righteous in the first sense we were talking about. You know, he's a nice guy. He's a kind man. But for you and I, for you and me to become, to be truly righteous, we aren't going to be able to do it in our own power. We're going to have to learn to trust God. We're going to have to learn, first of all, to trust him, that he knows what he's doing, that he's not crazy. That these things that he's telling us to do, whether whether it's his ethical instructions for our lives, our lifestyles, or whether it's the calling that he's got on our life, or the special ways that he wants us to sacrifice for others, you know, that he is right, and this is going to be good. But also to trust that he will empower us. I don't know how many times I've gone, I, I can't do this, Lord. This is like... This burden is, I'm just not competent to do this well, this thing I think you're calling me to do. And yet I see him time after time, what he calls us to do, he will enable us to do. He will empower us to do it. And we've got to trust that that's going to happen. We'll be able to walk through those situations that are coming up in our lives that just look like they're daunting or that we're we're saying, what if they happen? He He can handle it. his grace is sufficient for us. His grace is enough. Um, you know, Dorothy Sayers was a good friend of C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien. She was a murder mystery writer in London uh, in the four, uh, 30s and 40s. And um, she wrote this during the bombing of London. She said, In ordinary times, we get along surprisingly well on the whole without ever discovering what our faith really is. If now and again this remote and academic problem is so unmannerly as to thrust its way into our minds, there are plenty of things we can do to drive the intruder away. You know, we can we got entertainment, we got distractions, right? But to us in wartime, cut off from mental distractions by restrictions and blackouts and cowering in a cellar with a gas mask under threat of imminent death, comes in the stronger fear and sits down beside us. Doesn't that imagery kind of strike a, you know, ring a bell with you a little bit in a milder way for our culture right now? What, says this fear, he demands rather disagreeably, do you make of all this? What do you believe? Is your faith a comfort to you under the present circumstances? These are tests of our faith, aren't they? And you know what I think one of the biggest tests of faith is? It's what it says in Matthew 1, 22-23. We've taken this for granted. We get sentimental about it. But we don't sometimes think of the implications. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. You know, the fact that God came to earth and his name is Jesus... This is the big thing, I think, that separates everybody in the world. Who is Jesus? Do we really trust that he's God, or is he something else? And I, I, I think back, when I think about Emmanuel and God being with us, I think back to something that happened to me at school a few years back. And a Muslim student, uh, she, uh, she called herself Diane. Uh, just a great student, one of the top students in my class. She didn't believe what the Bible said, but she learned what it said. And she her tests were great. And I loved having her in there because we'd have these great arguments. And she'd always try to outwit me, and I'd always try to outwit her. And I remember this one day. I went in there, and I'm going, like, I got the argument. Ah, I'm going to defeat her this time. And I said, hey, you know, Diane, you believe that God is all-powerful, right? Allah can do anything. Am I right? She goes, yes. I said, well, how come you don't believe he could become a man? I mean, you're diminishing God's power to say he can't be a man. And then Diane said this. I, was, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was, okay? She said, with the, this is a Christmas test. It's not impossible for God to become a man, but it would be inappropriate so God would not do that. It would be inappropriate. Now, let me explain what inappropriate means, okay? Inappropriate, the word has gotten changed through in the last 10 years. So it's become a weasel word for people who are afraid to say something is wrong. So like we go like, oh, so that person stole $100 from you? That was inappropriate. (laughs) No, that's not inappropriate. That's wrong. That's offensive to God. That should not be done. Inappropriate means literally out of place, unfitting. It's not wrong, it's out of place, it's unfitting. So for example, you go to a funeral and people are weeping and are mourning and it's terrible. And then um, you think of something that just happened that was funny and you start smiling and kind of snickering to yourself. That's not wrong, you couldn't help yourself it's inappropriate, Okay, it doesn't fit, it's out of place. Or somebody goes, hey, let's put ice cream on top of our french fries. No, that's not wrong, it's dumb. It's, and it's also, it's not appetizing, but it's also inappropriate, it doesn't fit, the two things don't go together, you know? Um, where, some guy actually did this, wearing this shirt into the courtroom when you're a defendant in Louisville, Kentucky, that says killer on it. Um, You could impress the junior high school kids in your neighborhood, but it's not going to impress a judge, right? It's inappropriate, it doesn't fit, it's out of place, you should be wearing a suit, okay? Jesus, the creator of the world coming as a baby, that's out of place, that's inappropriate, it doesn't fit. Because this is the one who created everything. This is the one who we're gonna stand in front of someday and, he, and give account of ourselves, too. This is one who rules the nations. And now he's coming as an infant? He's coming as a helpless child? He's coming as, as someone who is totally vulnerable like this? He can't read. He can't write. He can't talk. He can't text. He's, like, totally, like, weak. That's crazy out of place. That's unfitting. And Now, why would he do something like that? That would be the question that I would think. And you know, what's interesting uh, for God to do such an inappropriate thing. Jesus talks about this and he was talking to Pilate and he said, uh, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. He's going like, you know what? I needed to communicate with people face to face and I wanted to do it this way. You know, it reminds me of when uh, I was in college and I needed a job that was short term that I could get right on the spot. So I uh, got this job as a telephone solicitor. Not a good job, okay? Don't get a job like this. But this was back in the days where people did not have caller ID, right? So they all answered their phones. They hated me. And I was uh, just about ready to get fired. You know, I was doing, hello, this is uh, James Fensky calling for the General Development Corporation. Click or swear words and stuff like this. And I, I wasn't getting anywhere trying to get people to consider buying Florida land, you know, when I was calling from Chicago, okay? And then I came up with a strategy. Okay, here it was. I thought, you know, if I call a name that's obviously like Irish, hello, this is Tom O'Malley calling for General Development Corporation, people would keep listening. Or call an Italian guy, uh, hello, this is Tom Montalbano, from the General Development Corporation. Hey, Paizan, you know? And it was like they, they trusted me. It was like somehow they could relate to me, you know? Uh, and I think that's a little bit of what is happening with the Messiah. It's like, he's going, I got things I've gotta share, life and death stuff. They can understand this, you know? And then another thing was he was had to take our place. You know, he had to face sin and death and the power of Satan and, and hell in our place he had to become one of us to do that the son of god came to destroy the devil's work and then i I think he wanted us to see who the real god was we're always making up stuff like yeah i think god's like this you know we think he's like that and and it's like he kind of fits our image of what he ought to be but you know it's like in john 14 philip one of his jesus followers said lord show us the father he goes "Can, can we just see god And we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, you're looking at him. You're looking at God. This is a real thing. You could see how he acts, how he reacts. You know, what he approves of, what he doesn't. You know, how he deals with religious people, how he deals with outcasts. How he deals with people who've just gone totally off the the edge. We could see the real God. And then there was one more thing I think that really is important, and that's this. And I want to go back to the old hernia stories, okay, for a minute. But I remember before I went into that first uh, surgery, and I was at the Bible study at my house, and there were a number of people there, and I said, look, can you guys pray for me on having this, this hernia surgery? And uh, so they, were, they prayed for me, and then there was this one woman, and uh, she said, you know, Jim, She said, this is your first surgery, right? I said, yeah. She said, you're going to be a different man after you have the surgery. She said, it's going to change you. She was so right. She was so right. Because I had that first surgery, and those of you who've had surgery, you know what I'm talking about. It's painful. In spite of the best efforts of awesome anesthesiologists like we have here in our crowd. Uh, it was still very painful, and the recovery was hard, and then there were complications, and I had to get rushed back to the hospital. And they started thinking of taking out other organs, and and they didn't, fortunately, but they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And then the thing didn't heal, and it was inflamed for a year. And I went through a year of chronic abdominal pain, and finally it swelled up, and I praised God when it swelled up. 'Cause I realized they were finally gonna do something and rip that thing out that they that mesh that they had put in and redo it. You know, I had never experienced pain really before. And I didn't know what people were going through. I knew it in the abstract, but I didn't know what it was what they were really going through, and it finally gave me a little empathy that I never had before. You know? I'll go like, Yeah, it's too bad you're going through it. Now oh. You know, And I think it's like, here Jesus comes, and he comes in the flesh, and he goes through everything that you and I have gone through. And it says that in Hebrews 4. It says, Jesus, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. You know, are, are you going through a time of happiness and joy in your life? He knows what that feels like. Do you like good food? He knows what that tastes like. You know, have you been betrayed by somebody? He he's he's had that happen. You know, have have people like mistreated you unjustly, lied about you? Have you gone through physical pain? Are you going through that right now? He's experienced all that stuff. Are you struggling with sin, where uh, temptation, where it just... You're going, this is so overwhelming. It says he went through all those testings, yet he, he didn't sin. But he understands. He feels it. We have an empathetic God being inappropriate. It was a method to his madness there, wasn't it? And when I think back to what uh, Diane said in the class, I think if I'd been a brilliant guy who really, was really thinking on his feet right now, I think I would have eventually said this. I said, it's not impossible for God to become a man. I'll agree with you that with that, Diane. But it was, definitely, and it was definitely inappropriate. I agree with that. But God cared enough for us to do it. That's a Christmas story, isn't it? So let's pray. Father, as we come to you today, we want to thank you for entrusting uh, your son to this... Uh, this man, one of us, Joseph, and Lord, I want to I want to be righteous like this guy, and Lord, I know it's it's going to be Your power and it's going to happen, but Lord, I also, uh, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank You for taking that step of being inappropriate um, and coming as as one of us and doing what You did on our behalf, for opening up our eyes, for giving us that revelation that makes everything brand new. For, uh, Lord, for also, I, I just I'm so grateful that you understand what we're going through right now. and Lord, I just we just pray for your continued empowering, your continued encouragement as we walk through whatever whatever's happening in our lives. and we thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.